This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is really important, so please listen up. You want to save a life? You need to help one of the 14,000 patients who need a bone marrow transplant and cannot get it from a family member. I know that sounds really random, but this is important stuff. 70% of those in need will never, ever get a bone marrow transplant, but you can be the one to change that. Register today to become a lifesaver because the chance of saving a life is one of the most exciting and selfless things that you can personally do. Trust me, I know. In 2014, I want to say, I became a donor and it changed my life. Please do this right now. Pull out your phone, text AMAZING to 50555 or go to dkms.org backslash 100 words with the number for a free swap kit. Swap kit, super simple. They send it to you. You become a part of the registry and you could potentially save a life. So please, if I can do it, you can do it. So here, on with the show. Hello one, hello all. I am Ray Harkins and you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Tuning in like you're turning a radio dial. To, uh, there has to be, thank you for downloading in, listening in, I don't know, whatever. If you have any ideas, email me, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. But anyways, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you putting this in your earbuds or airbuds for those of you that are uh, you know on the technology tip and are super excited about the iPhone 7 and have it in their hands and yeah I, I tried to pre-order that but um, I got a family plan and man it's a nightmare to pre-order any of that stuff but anyways that's not why you tuned in this is technology talk with Ray Harkins this is independent music talk and the guest this week is Mr. George Hirsch who is the vocalist for Harm Wolf and Blacklisted and I honestly, I, frankly, I could, I, I'm so excited that this is happening because I just didn't think that he would ever be interested in doing a podcast, let alone a podcast with, with me that kind of, you know, was, was really a wide ranging discussion about him as a person, obviously his musical outlook, his outlook on life, um, for anybody that's paid attention to him, you know, blacklisted is a, a force of nature, you know, they are such a, not only prolific, but uh, incredible band from the live show, from what they've done recording-wise. Their records are unbelievable, and George is a very unique frontman in the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, he just doesn't care in the sense of the uh, opinions of people, and he just uh, puts himself out there, and I respect that dude immensely for it, and with what he's done in his Harm Wolf project, where it's just him. He's just pouring himself out, and, uh, you know, figuring out what he wants to expand musically into. And uh, it's really, really good. It's really compelling, uh, introspective stuff that I urge you to check out. So, yeah, listen to Harm Wolf because they have a new record out. And that's, uh, that's you know, one of the reasons why George came on here. So thank you very much, George. And uh, I'll get to him in a moment because we have some interesting, uh, you know, back and forth. But it's raining here in Southern California, and that puts me in such a good mood because we've had so much sun and heat that it's nice to have a change of pace. You know, I mean, we live here for the weather, and then um, when you get a break from the beautiful weather into something gloomier, it's like, oh yeah, man, let's let's put on a candle, let's put on some uh, some dark introspective music, a la Yesu, and uh, just just do the damn thing. And that's exactly what I'm doing this morning uh, as I'm talking to you. Of course, I'm professional and I'm, I'm stopping the music, but my candle's burning bright. The vibes are just bouncing off the room, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. So, yeah, like I said, George, 
was a very interesting interview. Uh, frankly, I was very intimidated going into this because I didn't know um, what he would be comfortable in discussing. And there was, uh, you know, some back and forth between me and his publicist. And then, uh, you know, I, I spoke to him obviously before we did our interview. And um, but he was just ex- incredibly forthcoming. And for the stuff that he didn't want to talk about, he's like, "Nah, we don't need to do that." I'm like, "No problem whatsoever." Uh, but the stuff that we did cover was just just great. I'm so excited to uh, bring that to you. And something that I find very interesting about this discussion was the fact that he is willing to and push against the questions that I posed him. Because, you know, sometimes we get into this usual, you know, conversation back and forth with one another where, you know, if you're speaking to a person for, you know, 20 plus minutes, uh, you kind of get into the the rhythm of like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, sure. You're like agreeing with them and, you know, kind of not really putting a ton of thought into the way that these this interaction goes. I'm speaking on more so from a, you know, friend-to-friend basis. Not to say that George and I are, are, are friends. We are friendly now. <laughs> but anyways, George was just willing to push up against these questions that I had and be like, no, I don't agree with that. And it, it obviously, it was not an argument, as you will hear. Um, but like I said, just kind of pushing up against it and being like, no, nah, I don't agree with that. I think you're wrong. Um, which I, I honestly, like I said, I really, really appreciate that fact because uh, not everybody is obviously comfortable enough to do that. And uh, not everybody can actually back that up, you know? And so once I heard him, why he pushed back on those, I was like, okay, I get what you're coming from. And that's ultimately what you want out of these interviews, right? You want people to stand for something, reveal things about themselves, and ultimately walk away with a better understanding of why it is that they create in the first place. So, whew, heavy. But the conversation must go on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to share it with you. So here we are. Here's George. And I will talk to you after the show is over. start these things off with my own sort of personal you know entry point to kind of you know you and the music you create and stuff like that um i think the first time that i ever saw uh, blacklisted play was uh did you guys play sound and fury 2006 or 2007 i can't recall Uh, i think we played every one up until maybe the second one you guys booked yes correct yeah so i think yeah, no, I think you're right, because I couldn't remember if you played 2006, but I think that's where I saw you for live for the first time. Did you book 2006? I did not. I was... Uh, did Joey Todd, and, Todd, Riley, and Bob book it? Exactly. Joey and I started in 2010. Um, yeah, yeah, then we definitely played it, for sure. Yep. Um, but I remember watching you guys, like, you know, whatever, the 2006 edition of it, um, and by that point, I was already following what you guys were doing as far as, you know, the uh, demo and, and the seven inch and everything like that. Um, and yeah, I, I always found it so interesting because obviously when word started to spread about a band to the West Coast, that's from the East Coast. People are like just, you know, chomping at the bit to see them live. Um, and when you guys went out there and, and you know, you did your thing, uh, you as a you know front man, you're uh, obviously you're an intense dude. And you are very, uh, I guess, the best way I describe it is, uh, you know, you're pretty raw and vulnerable up there. Um, is that natural kind of for you to obviously, like, put yourself in that, that headspace or that's something that you basically just get, get kind of, you know, overtaken by the music? 
I definitely don't get overtaken by the music, but uh, I think that uh, um, I also don't think that's who I am as a as a person necessarily. Like twenty four hours a day, right? Um, or maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't. I am with myself twenty four hours a day, so I can't like really make a judgment. But I, uh, I think that what we were doing, what we we're doing as a band and have done as a band that's what it is so that's where it's at but it's not like a, uh it's not like i hear the the tunes and and i'm like psyched up you know what i mean like some like i don't know bro dude on mountain dew or anything like that i just kind of i, I just think that's what we were making um especially post 2006 like after uh the previous guitar player tim had left the band we we kind of formed we were going to break up or whatever and we reformed and uh pretty much started a new band but just kept the name and and played the songs and uh that's kind of when it that that time period is kind of when it became more of an intense thing i think previous to that it, it had its moments but it was more so uh just like people playing in a band to like play shows and like kind of have fun you know oh sure yeah it became uh maybe for lack of a better term like more serious it was serious before that but like my my relationship with the people i mean let me try to think of a point where i can i can use 2006 fine like my relationship with the people before that are is much different than my relationship with the people post that because and that's not even just in hindsight now it being uh 2016 or whatever it's the guitar the guy that went on to play guitar in blacklisted after that i knew since i was you know 10 11 years old mm-hmm. and then the guy that went on to play bass post that i knew for years and years and years going to punk and hardcore shows in the philadelphia area and the drummer who who started around that time um actually he was in the band a little bit before that as well sean but he he grew up in my area and like we went to uh one of my high schools together and so i like you know when when you when you see bands play and a lot of bands that play they weren't they're not they weren't friends previous to the band maybe and they don't come from the same area and that was kind of blacklisted before 2006 like i knew i knew those people and i met like in the in the scene Mm -hmm. they weren't like maybe they didn't experience the same things i did whereas i can look at john the bass the guitar player of blacklisted i'm sorry and know that he experienced a ton of the stuff i experienced in my life like as far as where we grew up and where we went to school and you know mutual people we knew so I think that makes for a more intense experience, like because you're sharing something with with I was sharing something with three other people then and, and now that uh, there's a lot more at stake. You know what I mean? Like yeah. as as far as like the guys the guys that were in Blacklisted before that, like I don't even talk to them anymore. I don't have a problem with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I occasionally talk to the drummer Zach, but like they're not like my friends you know what i mean i I wish them well i don't want anything to ever happen to them and um i care about them in a you know in a certain way but they're not like they're not in my life whereas if you know blacklisted's done the people that play in the band now are they're 
they're going to be in my life. You know, you know what I mean? Like no matter what. But I say, you know, the reason that I brought up, you know, the the kind of manifest, well, not the manifesto of a band, but the mannerisms of the band, as far as um, you know, you guys weren't, uh, you know, posing in regards to like trying to be a, a tough band or, or have any sort of um, artifice in what you were doing. And obviously, I think that's what attracted a lot of people to what you guys were doing. Well, um, no, I, th- I don't know. I don't think I don't know if people would agree with that. I think the thing I learned being a band is that like. I guess like before I started a band, I, I was naive to the fact that there was like a such thing as as critics, especially because I come from an era of punk and hardcore where like message boarding didn't exist. So, um, or even you know not to predate it that way, I, I came maybe grew with it while when that that stuff started kicking off. But I've never had like a, an online presence or a, some message board handle or, or any stuff like that. But um, when you you know when you start a band and then you start to realize that there's like these people that are critics and and it and and I, I don't know what ground they feel like they're standing on that they can like critique you that way. But I, I don't know if people would necessarily agree with that, especially because early on in Blacklisted there was like a lot of bad shit happening, like especially in the area that we were from, that that tri-state area with you know like whatever. It's, I can't even respect it enough to call it a gang, but like pseudo gang, hardcore violence. You know what I mean? And sure, we were definitely um, in a, in a way a part of that because I was friends with with so many people that were involved, and I think um, I regretted a lot, like that I never spoke out about it. But the thing the thing with it is that that I think people maybe don't understand at that time, and this has nothing to do with like. What you, kind of what you're talking about, but I feel like I should say it anyway. Sure. I feel like what people don't understand at the time is like when that stuff was was happening and Blacklisted was like a part of it. Like, say we would play a show with um with Righteous Jams or something, who was you know kind of part of it as well. The people involved that I knew, they weren't some people that I met like at some basement show in Philadelphia. Like a lot of them were people that like our parents knew each other, or you know we went to school together, or kind of like what I was saying about some of the people in Blacklisted like later on like like what do you do like when when stuff like that's happening and it's happening on like such a big scale but like the people you know you have way more at stake with than just some like random hardcore or punk person you know what I mean it was like a weird time so I definitely think that there was a weird time where people thought we were involved in that and we had to do like a lot of fighting like Struggling, not fighting, fighting is the wrong word, right. struggling to get ourselves removed from it. And I think we were successful and I think we did. And, you know, I'm proud of it, but I, I think we definitely should have spoken more at the time at what was happening, but we never did. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I struggled I, to get away from that. Sure. No, I totally, I, I see what you're saying, especially from the context of your environment. I mean, obviously I'm removing myself from that scenario because I was paying attention to what you guys were doing on, on you know, uh, from a national level. Um, obviously I knew, you know, the type of bands you'd be playing with and obviously Philadelphia as a scene. I mean, I, <laughs> I, uh, I played in a band and I toured with a band from Philly, um, called this day forward. And like one of the first times I played Philly, uh, was like one of the first times I've ever got punched in the face from a person, you know, doing a, a, a violent dance and it was one of those things where i was like oh so yeah philly is a lot different than here in southern california where i'm from um uh, yeah it definitely is yeah yeah but the uh i think you know what sort of the like i said the the fact that uh you know i didn't cl- so closely place you in the same um 
arena as a lot of those bands was because of uh, you know basically just what you guys did on stage um which wasn't we didn't have anything to do with those bands i just think that my, like my connection with some of the people yeah brought it in but like yeah i never we never started a band that were like with some like pre-thought out idea where we were gonna like write these hard parts and have people <laughs> totally they're up to them you know like i don't i hate that but yeah. um no for sure well, once you start a band like I, I always say this like when people ask me like about music like any music that I make it's I always just say that like once I'm done making it once it's recorded like whatever happens after that is like none of my business like I don't I don't because I, you have no power once it's out you know what I mean like you make something and like if I sit in my room after this interview and I play guitar you know until my girlfriend comes home and I write four songs and I I you know compose all the parts and I do everything and I sit down on my computer and I record it that's my part once I put it out I there's nothing I I don't it's not that I don't own it anymore but like it's none of my business like if you hear it whatever you feel about it that's not any of my business because I don't I'm not you so I can't say why you attach yourself to a certain thing or why you dislike a certain thing mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a it's kind of a weird I mean making music's kind of a weird thing like you 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 kind of just have to step away from it once it's done totally once it's done making something yeah exactly because you, you at that point like you mentioned you have no control and you you essentially give it to the world <laughs> you know obviously that's a very grand statement but that's the idea where it's just like well it's a you know using a bad metaphor it's kind of like it's like a balloon you, you put it up in the air and then basically wherever it flows it flows and that you know if a person sees it from a distance and likes it and wants to catch it like that's cool but you you can't control that obviously and then, and then another like for a while I, I didn't for a bunch of years i didn't do interviews I, like i just i just wouldn't respond or i would tell you know the people at death which i don't have any interest in doing this and it was a lot of it was because like every interview would be would start out with you know the band and then it would start about about well i suffer from depression and you suffer right. from depression and they would like you know put all these things on me that like whether that's true or not you know it's there's there's whether that's true or not at the end of the day there's people that love and care about me so if they're following anything that is being said about me or any press that i've received or blacklisted has received and they keep reading that obviously that's causing a problem with them or they think there's a problem or because like i said i'm not like when i play in blacklisted i'm not that person like 24 hours a day like how would i I wouldn't even be able to go to the grocery store to buy food. I would get in an altercation. Right, right. You know what I mean? And, like, I, I think, like, a big reason I stopped doing that stuff is because it definitely, definitely started to affect, like, people that I care about. And especially, you know, your sir, like, people care about you and they're like, well, why can't I help you? Mm-hmm. This is what you're talking about. This is what these people are asking. Why can't I help you? But also, I don't even know if there's anything wrong because you're like, I don't know watching tv and you seem fine you know it's it it's right that's what, that's another thing i mean by like once it's done it's once the album's out it's like none of my business after that because if i was to constantly live in that it's like it, it's not it's kind of hellish you know what i mean mm-hmm. no absolutely i totally understand because especially when you're coming from the context of uh, the world that obviously we live in where there's no um you know ambition in regards to like you know being a rock star like obviously you know 
people can make a living off of what they do within the context of punk and hardcore, but it's not like you have these ambitions that, you know, some people have when they, you know, start playing guitar when they're seven years old, like, oh, I want to be in front of, you know, 10,000 people at an arena. And so then the, the byproduct of you becoming some, you know, minor, minor, minor celebrity is the fact that obviously people are going to put these projections on you and you're just like, this wasn't... <laughs> this obviously is an unintended consequence this is something that you're putting on me rather than me trying to put on you i'm just expressing yeah because at one point you know everybody's like we're all the same we're on the equal equal playing field and i'm fine with that you know i i live my life like that but then you start not getting treated like that you're like damn what, what, what can i do to like change this and then you try to like make yourself more available and that becomes more damaging so then you have to step back and make yourself less available and then people feel you know like i i have emails that are so insane from people that when i was like no i don't want to do this interview or i don't want to talk about this or whatever and they're like they feel like you are like letting them down but i don't know like what what if it wasn't because i wasn't choosing not to do it what if i had to go to work or what if i had to i had other stuff going on or you know what i mean like that right (laughs) there's a million reasons have a life like this isn't paying my bills like i have a a life and all this other stuff that i have to get done are you going to get it done for me you know and it's (laughs) totally totally they feel like you owe them and it's it's crazy yeah it's rough pardon this interruption to this discussion that george and i are having i am so thrilled to tell you about something that will make your life easier so you want to be healthy right a huge part of eating healthy is finding the time to do it so you know you got to go plan your meals you got to go to the farmer's market it it, the time all adds up and if you're like me and you don't have a ton of time to do that you will absolutely adore this service called sun basket so what they do is they deliver delicious healthy recipes and fresh ingredients straight to your door and you can prepare each meal in 30 minutes or less and you'll get organic non-gmo ingredients from the best farms and fishermen everything is seasonable and sustainably sourced so like me i'm vegan And that is awesome because they have vegan options, vegetarian options, gluten-free, paleo, and it's created by an award-winning chef and approved by nutritionists. Each meal comes with a pre-measured, fresh ingredients and easy-to-follow directions. And it's delicious. I've had a few of these things. So chilaquilas, have you ever heard of that before? No, I hadn't until I got this amazing box where I prepared it with my wife. Super, super tasty and awesome. So trust me, what what I want you to do, Stop what you're doing immediately. Stop listening to this. Go to the internet. Go to your phone. Whatever it is. Go to sunbasket.com slash words. W-O-R-D-S today. And I will give you three meals for free. No risk involved. That's sunbasket.com slash words to get three healthy, easy to prepare meals for free. Sunbasket.com slash words. Do it up, please. For all intent and purposes, was is uh, was blacklisted kind of the first band that you really played in, or were there was there other iterations of stuff that you were attempting to uh, when you were a little bit younger? No, I, yeah, I did a band before Blacklisted um, called No Rights with some local people from my area. Two of them went on to be in Blacklisted, actually, the original lineup. And uh, I did like random other stuff before that, like that never had names or anything. I was just kind of like jamming and. Uh, no rights was probably the first one you know we released two demos and then i think i don't have it i never heard it or anything but i think they got pressed on a seven inch i'm not totally sure about that though right Uh, yeah so i i did that band and then uh one day we were just hanging out and we wanted to like do something a bit a little bit more serious and that's how blacklist started 
That's cool. And then did you uh, did you immediately like once you started to kind of tour with Blacklisted and everything like that? Did you uh, enjoy that experience immediately, or was that something you kind of grew to like, and then obviously later on <laughs> a little bit dislike? No, I definitely never enjoyed it. Um, I well, like see the thing with the with the see the thing with the band is. Like, I got into hardcore and punk, like, very young, I think, compared to most people that I've met, you know what I mean? And then, like, at 13, you know, or so, and then I, I like, I was going all these crazy places. So, like, at a young age, I, I was seeing, you know, 13 years old, like, shows in New York City, you know, shows in D.C., shows in Baltimore, because um, I knew some older people, and they, like, I would go to shows and stuff like that. So, like, the traveling for shows thing, like, I... I understood that there was a there was a, there was scenes other places, but when I first heard hardcore, um, I I didn't re- I didn't realize that it was still happening because I had gotten records and then <clears throat> I bought albums out of the thanks list, but then it seemed like all of them were from New York and all of them were not bands anymore. Right. <laughs> so I was like, oh well, then this must have been like a quick couple years, and then it was done and then you know i started hearing other bands and going to other shows i met other people and then i would travel and travel and travel and uh i liked it and i understood that there was a lot out there but i wasn't like fully invested and then when i was like when i was 16 i got shot and i was in the hospital and then that was kind of when i like actually fell in love with hardcore because i like only had a couple albums to listen to like one of them was victim in pain and I would like jam that and like watch TV until I like got better, you know, and then I got out of the hospital. And then after I got out of the hospital, I was like, I'm totally done with like everything that's my environment. Like I'm not going to be a product of my environment. So I started like heading downtown and like, then I got even more into hardcore and then I started going all over the place. So when I started the band, the reason I tell that story is to tell this, when I started the band, I knew from rip that I wanted to go on tour because I wanted to get as far away from like, everything I knew as possible. You know what I mean? And that was like, that was like my vehicle to do it. And, uh, so, you know, that's what I did. So when Blacklisted first started, it was under the assumption, like, we're going to, we're going to go out on like, and tour, we're going to be a band for sure. And we're going to, we're going to play anywhere that someone will have us. Like we'll play any show. We'll play two shows a day, three shows a day if we can. And, uh, we definitely lived up to that. We definitely did, did that. Right, right. I, I, I like the way you uh, I like the way you put that in regards to um, viewing music and obviously more specifically hardcore through the lens of uh, of a vehicle. Like obviously, like you said, you know, escape your surroundings, escape uh, you, you not wanting to be a product of the environment that you were you were brought up in. Because um, I, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously when they first start to get into music, it's more of uh, you know it's an escape in some capacities, and obviously it's able to you know vocalize some um, you know some rage they might be feeling. But to actually view this as like a, a, a passageway to something, you know, that will obviously yield you benefits for years to come. I, I, I like that the way that you, you view that. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, that's it's just how it happened. And then, like, I, I definitely probably, you know, from six, around 16, 17 years old, kind of was like, I, I'm going to I want to do a band and I want to I want to play like play, go out and play. Because before that, like I said, I, I knew there was other areas, but. I probably wasn't I wasn't as invested as I became after that, you know, 16 years old after like I said like all that stuff happened, I got out of the hospital and stuff like people would call me like when I was in there like 
hardcore people that I had met from other places. Mm -hmm. That was kind of when I first experienced the thing like, wow, like I have these friends from like New York city and, or like North New Jersey. And like, I can, I can remember the people that called me and like who they were and stuff like that. And then, um, it like meant a lot, you know what I mean? So I, I definitely took hardcore more serious right after that. Like that was when I was like, I went to every show I could and, you know, I, I probably saw floor punch 75,000 times. And like, <laughs> sure. I, I, I like, I went, you know, it was right when like, uh, the youth crew th- that the revival was happening. So I, I definitely was like totally immersed in that and like loved all those bands. And I loved like all the, the New York hardcore bands that were happening. And, and I happened to be in Philadelphia that was so close to all those places. Like Boston was only six hours away, you know? So I would go there and I would go to New York and I'd go all these places and as I was doing that, I was in my head was like, I'm going to do a band. I'm going to do a band. And I was just waiting to meet the right people. Uh-huh. And I like, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if that happened, but it, I guess it did bec- because I started a band, you know, but I, I started hanging out at this venue slash house in Philadelphia. And, uh, that's like when it happened, like I, I met like a couple people and then we started no rights and then. I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why no rights wasn't the band we chose to, to take serious. I think it was kind of like, that was like a learning curve. And then yeah, we it's were, your first band too. I mean, like you don't I, really, yeah, but we, we, we definitely played like we, de- we played and like, definitely we didn't not take it serious. You know what I mean? Right. And then, you know, for the second band to be blacklisted and then we just, we just went, like I said, just went for it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, and so then, uh, we, I, I know you've mentioned obviously in previous interviews, like once the, um, I like to call it the perpetual motion machine of touring starts to take over where it's like, you feel, um, you know, just because all these opportunities are in front of you and you're like, all right, I'm gone 10 months out of the year. Obviously that turns into a real, uh, you know, grind on not only physically, but then mentally as well. Um, do you recall kind of when that started to feel, you know, when it started to shift from the, all right, I'm using hardcore obviously as a vehicle to, you know, travel and get away from my surroundings. Um, but then now it's like, I would actually like to, to be a part of some surroundings that aren't, you know, isn't the van or the plane or whatever. Well, I mean, I think like right when we had a guitar player who had like a heart problem and we had to like go to the hospital with him and stuff, I think that's kind of when I was like, oh man, like what's happening right now? You know what I mean? Like when you see something that you travel with and you're friends with and he's like, has all these like wires and stuff hooked up to him, you're kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And then, uh, you know, we kept playing, but the thing was, is like bad stuff just kept happening. Like at a rapid rate like we'd flip a van our trailer would fall off that like just stuff that people deal with in a band but for us it just seemed to happen like way more often and and every time we we would like break through it and wind up playing the show and and keep going on but it, like no like so i guess there those were successes but at the same time you have to think about like all the stress you're dealing with and even though it's successful it, you, you're not even being able to to bask in that success because you're like well fuck man like we don't there's a wheel that like is rolling down the street from our van and we're like what's going on we're like this like ragtag bunch of people and uh i don't know it and we just like to be honest we we couldn't get along with other bands like so we would never really play do tours like we did a couple that were really great but like we just couldn't get along with people like everywhere we went it seemed like that that wasn't happening 
Um, so it was like always this really like just us type of thing. So you're like living in this vacuum with these other like three people just constantly and you're just constantly going and, and you're, I, I don't know. It's like, it's hard. It's, it's kind of hard to describe even in hindsight because like, it's like really, there's like a lot of different layers to it as far as like for me personally, like looking at it. But like when you are in a band and you show up at a venue and you play and there's like all these people that are psyched on you and going crazy, but you don't get along with anyone and you feel this tension between every, like, right. the, like all other bands and stuff. Like it's just, you're like constantly on guard. So the only time you have that you feel free is when you play. And uh, that was us. And I don't, I don't know if other bands experience that, you know what I mean? Because I look at other bands they're always so happy and like we were never happy <laughs> right and uh it like it was just, like always on guard like just imagine being ready to be in some type of physical altercation when it, it's not even real it's like made up maybe you know Who knows but it was difficult man so yeah like that stuff weighs on you and then you have people at home who like like i was saying earlier are reading this press and people are portraying you a certain way that you're, you don't, you are not even sure if that's you. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, this is like punk and hardcore. Like, why am I in this glossy bullshit magazine? That's, you know, there's an ad for monster energy drink and like some new shitty metal band. And like, I should be in like fanzines and like playing basements. And yeah, you, you kind of start to romanticize that. Right. When you're starting to get success because you're like, I just don't belong here. Like I, I don't know. It's it. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that is too, where like you know, a sense of control. Because obviously, when you um, you know feel like you are being pushed into places that obviously you know that most bands desire and want to be, and then when you feel even kind of like remotely uncomfortable with that, it starts to play with your mind. Where you're just like, yeah, like I don't want this. I want this. You know, I want what we were. You know, whatever a year ago, where you know people cared about us, but we weren't as you know, like you said being covered in glossy mags and stuff like that because that's yeah but i mean i know no one like tells me what to do so if i didn't want to that i wouldn't do it you know what i mean but the fact is like when you do do it you're like all right this is you make the decision you know like this is good for 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 this like what we're putting all this work into it how what harm does it cause and then you do it and it's fine. I mean, it is fine, but at this, you, there's a lot of resentment. Like when you're a band on tour, there's a lot of resentment. Like bands aren't going to talk about that. People aren't going to say that. Everybody's going to be like, no, we want to go cliff jumping and like <laughs> right. or guys and do, do whatever it is we do. And like that's, that was like never in my DNA. And then, you know, you, you're like maybe on now you on social media, a band will portray themselves as the happiest person. people in the world but believe me like behind closed doors they're they're counting other people's pockets and they're saying this and that and it's just it's bullshit it's just all that stuff is bullshit (laughs) yeah no i i honestly i i totally uh i totally agree with you because there's um there you know some of it is healthy competition and that's fine because obviously when you see your friend's band successful and not in a jealousy standpoint but you know that obviously in some respects push pushes you harder to be like oh well, we got to step up our game and make sure that you know we don't suck live or whatever but then it does breed like once you get to a large level where you start to like you said assess 
the fellow bands that are your peers, once you start to assess them as like, you know, business units where you're just like, oh, dude, they did like a grand in merch. We only did 800 or whatever. That's when it starts to get into that world of what you're talking about. Yeah. And like, what is that? You know what I mean? Like, who cares? But I, it's that. But the thing is, another thing is, is for so long, like bands would go on tour, but people weren't living off it. And now you can live off it. Like I could honestly start a band tomorrow and if I really played my cards right and hit the road, make enough money to like pay my bills. Like I wouldn't be able to put like a kid through college, but I'd be able to survive and not have a day job. Right. And that's, and I'm not saying that's wrong. Like that's fine. Dude, you know what? Like money is a needed thing. So if you, if you make something and you believe in it, you shouldn't do it for free. And if you can make money off it, that's fine. But see, the, the competition thing that you said, healthy competition, like that just starts to become ridiculous. And it's 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 just crazy. And the resentment happens and then people are just like, well, then, start, then it starts to affect your art, too. It's like then then you start to see people that obviously place the idea of, OK, well, we need to sound like this in order to make sure that obviously the you know next crop of 15 to 16 year old kids that are going to shows cares about what we do, because obviously music changes. And so, yeah, but here's the thing. Another thing like punk and hardcore is for young people. So I'm 33 years old. So if if again, if I started a band tomorrow, there's nothing I can do where I'm like. I have to relate to this, these 15 or 16 year old kids like that. Is, that's not happening. Right. That, like <laughs> that is not happening. And, and, and for a 15 or 16 year old kid now, if they heard an old blacklisted record, that's not happening. It was written at a different time. It's not something like youth of today. Like we're not in this alone, like boy scout hardcore that like any kid can look at as like a manual and it, it resonates with a 15 year old or you know, Gorilla Biscuits start today. Like those are timeless things that are were made for uh, children. You know what I mean? Like, like I, when I was 13 years old and I heard "Start Today," my room's a mess. I can't get dressed. Like, right? <laughs> like, duh. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's going to resonate now. But, but like for myself, like I don't make music that way. I wish I could because it's genius. But like, I, I don't, I don't. So. When you're at a certain, when you are moving at a certain rate or you're a certain age, like you can't, you have to stop making music for kids that are 15, 16 years old. And that's a thing that I've never said about Blacklisted when people are like, this band's so experimental. And then they would like blame me for this experimentation when I, <laughs> I barely wrote any of the music. Right, right. It's like, dude, I, like, um, I'm 27 years old now. Like, wh- what am I going to write about? Like, my first, my first crush sophomore year like i don't even remember that really like i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to fake that and you know you see that in bands though trying to capture that and that's the sad thing about reunions when you see certain reunions happen and like you know what it's i I take that back it's it's not sad when you see it when you see a reunion happen everybody has an idea of what this person's going to look like or people are going to look like and then when they show up and they don't look that way you you stop even judging the music you're like wow what's that what's this outfit that this old man has on like right. because hardcore is for young people straight up like you know this this whole like lifer thing that is going on now that that's like newish in 1997 98 
I didn't see any really old, old guys. There was no 40-something-year-old guy at shows. And if there was, he was super fucking weird. Yeah, of let, course. Me t- let me just tell you straight like that. <laughs> totally. He was weird. And I, I'm saying times have changed, and it's definitely accepted now, and that's cool because I'll be a 40-year-old guy at a show. Yep. But, like, it – it, it it was it was it was weird. It was it was straight up weird, you know. And yeah, so I don't know. It's no, it's it, it, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, it's definitely uh, of a time and of a place. And I mean, this is something I was going to ask a little bit later. But like the, um, you know. It, Obviously, once you, uh, you know, settled down in the sense of like once blacklisted, you know, kind of pulled yourself from obviously the rigorous tour schedule you guys were keeping up and you you settled down to, um, you know, when when I mean settled down, I don't mean like settled down, quote unquote, but just like obviously we're not in a million cities (laughs) over a course of time. Um, It seemed like it's uh, it suited you just from an outsider's observation of like being able to obviously, um, you know, foster relationships and be be able to have a home base and a connection where you weren't, you know, being yanked from every so often. Um, You know, how how did you kind of like get acclimated to obviously being around and being present? And like, were there certain routines that you kind of just stuck to that you were, you know, offered you solace and comfort? Uh, No, I mean, at first, like you, you you start to look back and you, you realize like what got lost or like what got damaged, you know, And, and then you're finally beginning to deal with that for the first time. You know, when when Blacklist was going a lot, like playing a lot, I, I may not have realized like, wow, this person's out of my life. It might not have felt serious or because I have so like I have to get to Montana by Tuesday to play a show. You know, I wasn't you're you're not thinking, you know, I'm trying to focus. So then when you're so when Blacklist started slowing down, I moved like by myself and I lived by myself for like four or five years. And you're like just at your uh, me personally i don't know what the other people were other people were in the band were having kids so they were definitely dealing with the whole other thing but i was definitely dealing with like wow like look at all this these people i lost like you, you don't talk to the same people anymore and you lose people that are very very important to you that like you're you're not going to get back and that has always been like a huge struggle to me because like i've never really felt connected to to like anybody else like ever since I was even a little kid like not even like blacklisted or post blacklisted like I never really had like connections with people so like the ones that I that I felt I did like when I had to finally deal with that around my life anymore it was like a really big like personal struggle because I'm like am I place am I giving this person too much power that I'm bothered they're not my life or is it real is it not real like what's going on here and uh, I don't know so I spent a lot of time watching television. Right. I spent a lot of time writing music. Uh, I spent a lot of time working. And I spent a lot of time just doing stuff like that by yourself. You know what I mean? And then, like, later on, like, spent a lot of time trying to have healthy relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, which was a thing I had to learn because I never had that during the band. I never had that before the band and I, I was always like not that type of person like I, I was very easily like oh I don't talk to this person anymore alright who cares like I just didn't Yeah. you know I don't know if it was my fault or their fault I, it was mostly probably my fault because I'm pretty cold but you know I would split and I never really thought about it so when it kind of slowed down I, I really wanted to focus on having like healthy relationships so I like read this like stupid thing that was like you know, pick five people that you really care about. And like, if you don't talk to them in a week, reach out to them. And like, you know, like 
some Zen, sure. you know, right. bullshit or whatever. But I definitely did that, you know, and I definitely, it, I definitely benefited from it. I don't know if that's a thing people should do. I have no idea, but whatever that is, whatever I did, it, it definitely worked for me. Cause I definitely have like really amazing people in my life now. And I definitely, I definitely fixed relationships too of people that were really, really, really important to me. Like, especially during, you know, blacklisted, like, yeah. so no, that's inc- honestly, it's incredible because there are, uh, especially like you said, when you come from an environment of, of you not having, you know, nurturing, caring relationships, and then you have, you, you have to train yourself. It's like every other skill in life. You have to do it for a long time before you get even remotely uh, capable of that. And so, I mean, it's cool that you were able to kind of like lock yourself into that sort of mantra and just be able to be like, all right, well, this is what I'm focused on now, as opposed to just like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to continually run away from this. It's rad. Yeah, I mean, but, I, but also like, you know, I, I read, I see tons of interviews and listen to and et cetera with hardcore people. And they're always like, hardcore is a family, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I like never believe that bullshit. So like right, right. for me, I was like, you know, I have this, like, I have this ex-girlfriend who's an extremely, extremely, extremely important person in my life who, like, who, like, who ha- taught me so much. So, like, why wouldn't I pursue trying to fix this relationship with this person who, like, raised me in a way versus, like, these hardcore people who you know, once five months comes and new bands come in, they're going to get washed out and they're going to be the, the whole family element they're talking about, like doesn't exist, you know? And I think that's why another reason blacklisted was such an insular unit because none of us, none of us felt like, Oh wow. Hardcore brotherhood. But we definitely felt like we're, we are best friends. Like we are, you know, the center of what we're doing. So like all this other stuff, we love hardcore we love punk we love all this stuff but i don't believe in like the the whole the whole thing behind it of of that stuff like when when people get to talking about that it just always seems so sad because it's always like some again like some 40 something year old guys like trying to relive like glory or or something it's just a weird thing to to witness yeah well no it totally is because that you you feel like sometimes people that that hold on too hard to that either scene or ideal or whatever you feel like they're overcompensating for the fact that they may not have you know like any other relationship besides these these people that they've gone to shows with for a long time which like you said is a valuable thing but like there needs to be a balance where it's like yeah you may have these these solid people within the context of this but then you should have people that are hopefully like you know whatever your parents like siblings like someone else outside of you know the weird world that we've decided to involve ourselves with so yeah it's uh, yeah i mean because hardcore is a subculture not a lifestyle you know (laughs) can't i i can't go with the negative approach seven inch to work on Monday and like blast it and Debbie sitting next to me in the cubicle is going to be like, Oh yeah, this shit rips. He's going to be like, turn this off to me. You know, it's like listening to Mozart or something, but to her, she's going to be like, get this out of here. And she's in the, in the, the common bracket. You know what I mean? So lifestyle, it is not, but you know, it, it, it definitely, it definitely has its pluses. It taught me that it taught me a lot. Like I would never downplay it. Yeah. Just saying as far as for me, when I stopped touring as much and when I had to kind of go back to ground zero of normal life, like, you know, a, a perfect example is like, I'm a very, like, I have a very hard time finding jobs 
And part of it is because my work history for so long, there was none. So I can't write on a resume can scream really loud. Yeah. You know not, a, I mean? not a life like, skill. Yeah. Like once did X amount of front flips in a 25 minute set, like that doesn't go on a resume. So I don't, it just isn't like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, you really risk a lot when you are in a band yeah. and that goes back to the, to the monetary thing. Like you risk a lot. So there should be a reward. So all the like bands that are trying to make money, like I don't look down upon that. I think that that's a very beautiful thing. Like it's cool. You know, it's fine. Right. I, I know some people who look at it and they're like, like that are my age that play in bands. And they're like, Oh money, that's dirty. Like, I have a job, but like, you know, I don't have to think about that. Right. Right. And you know, there's definitely different sides to it, but yeah, no, for sure. What do you, uh, did you have any sort of any other, uh, path that you were trying to go on in regards to like, uh, you know, work or like something that you were passionate about beyond obviously, uh, music that you were like, Oh, I can turn this into some semblance of a career. Or was it one of those things where obviously once music and touring started to be a part of it, um, you just built your life around, you know, random jobs to, you know, sustain you while you were in between tours and stuff like that. I mean, when I was young, I, I wanted to be a therapist, and then I realized that all oh, that's bullshit. So I kind of didn't. <laughs> what do you, I can't just let you gloss over that. <laughs> like, was it was it just a matter of like you having the personal experience behind therapy, yeah, and you were just yeah, like, oh, this I is terrible. Personal, and then I just think it's bullshit. Okay. I just think people should work out their own shit. But, um, but what really, and, and then with that, it's just whatever works for you. So it's not bullshit for me. It's bullshit. Right, your right, your truth. Right. If someone out there is struggling and they think therapy is a thing, I definitely think they should should go for it and that would, it would be irresponsible for me to to not make that asterisk note that i think it's bullshit for for george eric hirsch not for humanity but um so i wanted to do that and i kind of just felt like i don't like this and then um no i had no no plan like a lot of people that that i when i was younger you know was like you're gonna be a writer you're gonna be a writer you're gonna write and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, right. No way. Right. And, uh, I've never pursued that. I've never done it. I don't. I've had one story published in like some bullshit pressing thing. And uh, yeah, I never I, I never had any any plan. And uh, I was just destined to swing a hammer, you know, and do construction because that's what my people did before me. And that's what everybody around me did. And right. Um, I'm not knocking that either. I think it's fine. Um, of course, so it's honest work. I, yeah, yeah. So I did construction for years, and I played in a band, and I would do construction, and that's it. And yeah. what, do you, uh, what do you do? Uh, what do you do now? now? I'm currently trying to find a job that's not construction, but uh, <laughs> got it, got it. I'm probably going to wind up going back to it, but uh, sure, which is fine. But uh, I, you know, I, I just I knew early on, like I, I went to college for a year, and. Uh, I stopped to, to do music. Um, and I, at, at the time when I stopped, like what, what became, like I, I had no idea that I would get that far. Like I had no idea that I would go to, you know, Russia or New Zealand or, or Australia or Japan or Europe and tons of countries within Europe and, and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I'm very, very, very extremely lucky that I got to do that and I wouldn't like I wouldn't change it you know I some days when I'm mad or whatever I look at like or I hear like 
some band saying something ridiculous or something i probably am like oh man i've wasted my life but to be honest like i'm very very extremely lucky you know yeah oh absolutely it's an experience that you know a a large swath of society never even gets to like you know peek their head into so yeah I totally get it. Um, I'd be, uh, if you don't feel comfortable talking about this, I just, you know, it keeps rattling around in my head where you're obviously mentioned, you know, you getting shot and then obviously how therapeutic it was for you to, you know, be able to lean on music and hardcore. Cause I do think that when you get put in, you know, uh, dire circumstances and then you have something to lean on, like that just becomes, you know, not only your lifeline, but it becomes kind of, you know, in your DNA. Um, what were the circumstances around you getting shot? Like how, I mean, that obviously doesn't happen to everybody. So that's the reason why I asked. <laughs> oh, no, I, that, that was just, a, just a, a bad situation. Got it. That's it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um, we, we kind of treaded on this, but uh, something that I, I feel is interesting where, um, you know, because obviously as you've progressed, uh, you know, as you've gotten older and obviously introduced more uh, influences to not only, you know, blacklisted and, uh, you know, I always, <laughs> this is going to sound really silly and I, I wouldn't say petty. No, not petty at all, but just silly. But like, I always pay attention to, um, you know, obviously what band shirts or shirts that people wear when they go on stage, because obviously that is a, you know, you're advertising this thing in front of a lot of people and like that's cool like i always enjoyed the fact that it's like you know you wore you wore different shirts than you know it's not like you're wearing you today or gorilla biscuit shirts you're wearing you know um stuff that obviously not most people are are interested in or uh, are are consuming on a regular basis yeah, yeah, definitely. um so I, I always found that to be uh, cool because obviously uh that ushers Curiosity, hopefully for the you know ten percent of people who pay attention to what you wear and are just like, oh, like yeah, I'll check out you know Suede or my buddy Valentine or whatever you know. Um, it definitely, it definitely interested more than ten percent. I'll tell you that. Oh, when, yeah. I, see, when <laughs> I see what people like now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> That's true. So, you did, but I mean, did you get that immediate feedback from people being like, oh, like oh, like sick shirt or like you know that that's cool you're wearing that or whatever? Or was that something that just kind of? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, see, another thing when I when I was sixteen when I, when I got shot and stuff, another an album that I bought was Moon Picks by Cat Power. So like I I had, I was into that. Like, I think at that age, like, music became my focus. It wasn't even just hardcore, but I was definitely, like, a straight-edge youth crew, hardcore person, like, identity-wise, like, if you looked at me, you know what I'm saying? But I, I definitely liked all different music, and uh, I just had those shirts, like, when I would play shows, and that's just what I wore, because that's the bands I liked, you know? I, I didn't, I didn't want to be the guy that was wearing, like... All right, one of the most pathetic things in life is the 40 something year old youth crew guy now oh, yeah. when you look at him yeah. who like as an old side by side shirt that he keeps like in an air vacuum sealed plastic bag in like the back of his wife's closet and like he matches it with like his perfect Jordan and like I like all that stuff I love Jordans I love side by side I love t-shirts but it's just so sad when you see that guy and like he doesn't know anything about new bands like he's literally crossing his fingers hoping that chain of strength plays a show at the Che cafe and he can go to it like it's it's for me that's like so sad it's so sad so i definitely never wanted to like represent myself that way so i just wore shirts that i had that that weren't you know the typical one so i definitely did it like on purpose you know what i mean it wasn't a I could have very easily wore like a raw deal t-shirt 
Right. But I chose to wear Jesus and Mary chain or, or something like that, you know, and they might look at me as a pathetic, sad person who doesn't believe in hardcore enough and has all these indie uh, influences. That's totally fine. You know, there's definitely two sides to the coin. This, but this is my story, not theirs. So fuck them. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I just always liked it, too, because it was um, it, it show, obviously it showcased the fact that it's like you should you sh- you need to pay attention to music that is outside of whatever thing you get introduced to when you're young. Like, you know, I mean, you and I, as we grow old, because I'm 36, and, like, I still would refer to myself as a hardcore kid, even though the amount of hardcore I listen to is probably less than 1%, you know? I listen to, like, movie soundtracks the majority of the time. So it's like, but there's still that fiber that goes through us that obviously we'll never be able to pull it away. But you have to have a wider view of music and that's why i always appreciate the fact like of, of what you were trying to do and trying to uh, you know introduce people to different strains of music hey part of the interruption with this conversation with george but i want to tell you about something awesome so i know a lot of you that listen to this show are into graphic design computer interface app building all that sort of stuff if you're looking for a professional vector design app you should take a look at autodesk graphic graphic is a full featured app for making icons illustration UI and UX design and everything else you'd expect in a professional vector design app. It's available on your Mac, your phone, and even your iPad so you can design without compromise anywhere you go. Say you hop on tour, need to pop out a shirt design, boom, there you go. And the iPad app isn't just a companion app for the desktop version. It's a fully featured design software the pros use to hand draw vector illustrations, create gorgeous logos, or mock up websites on the fly. This is the real deal, people. So if you have an iPad Pro or an iPad Pencil, this is there's there's no other choice. This is what you need. And it is the latest 2D design app you will ever need. And it's available at the price of a few decent stock photos. So please do this right now. Visit graphic.com to learn more about Autodesk Graphic or check it out in the App Store. So please do that. Graphic.com or check it out in the App Store. You need to design better, right? Let this thing help you. On that kind of idea, like, you know, the the work that you've done, obviously, with, with you know, Harm Wolf and obviously Blacklisted, um, like, do you get nostalgic for it? Like, do you look back on your, uh, you know, the music of, of your youth and be like, oh, man, that would be cool to do something like that? Or is it just one of those things, like, as you release stuff, you basically kind of never look back? Do I get nostalgic? Do you mean You're nostalgic for on music I make? Correct, or correct. I like, or, or, oh, no, I I never get nostalgic. I look back on all the music I made and wish I could change so much, you know, but I can't because it's... It's done, right? (laughs) It's done. But uh, no, I definitely, I only look back like thinking what I could change or what I could have done different or um, a different sound I could have explored or stuff like that. I never look back on it nostalgically. Uh, When I play shows... um, and I like I meet people and they tell me like what it means to them. I don't I feel like I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I'm grateful for it and I definitely listen to them and I'll talk to I'll I'll literally talk to anybody who comes up to me and talks to me like because I feel like that is a thing that I owe people because you never know what someone's gone through or something like that and if it could help them or whatever. So I always make myself available to speak to. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I would change. I would probably change everything if I could do it, do it again as far as the sonic aspect. Right. Sonically, the, everything else, like, I probably would do mostly the same. I probably would be more nice, like, when I was in Blacklisted, like, as far as to people who were trying to help me, and I'd, I'd be, like, less of a self-sabotage person, but... Sure. 
yeah, sonically, I would change. I would probably would change everything, and then tomorrow I might tell you I would change a different thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, you've you've uh, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Um, one of them is like you, you know, in other interviews, and uh, you've mentioned the fact that you're like, you know, I'm difficult to work with. Like I know that. Um, like in in your relationship with you know Death Wish, where you're just like I, I continually make their jobs difficult. From like you know, like you mentioned obviously a couple of years ago, where you're like I'm not interested in doing press or interviews, and you know obviously that's hard to you know sell records when a person that everyone wants to talk to is not interested in it. Um, what you know, I guess sort of introspectively, you know, what makes what things do you recognize in yourself that make it difficult for you to uh, you know for people to work with you? what makes it difficult for people to, for me to work with people. Um, yeah. Like what, what qualities like you're like, yo, I know I am this. So that's why I understand why people have a hard time, you know, working with me. I'm cold. I'm mean. I say th- the first thing that comes to my mind, I don't think things out. I mean, there's a ton. It's a, it's a, I have an explosive temper. Like I just, I don't, uh, if I feel uncomfortable, I make it uncomfortable for everybody else is one huge thing that I do. Like if something awkward's happening, I'll make it way more awkward. Like, so I feel more comfortable cause at least I'm in control. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a horrible person to work with, man. Like it's, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not joking or trying to be funny when I say that. Like right. I, I definitely, I, I definitely am the type of person that I constantly think I, I should apologize to this person. Like I definitely, there's definitely been times with Trey from death wish where I've wanted to text him and be like, yo, I'm sorry, man, that I was such a terror or I am such a terror or a couple years ago we played a fest for death wish. And I definitely spoke about it on stage. You know what I mean? But I, and I would apologize for sure. You know, I, I, I I really love those people and I love so many people that, that have worked with Blacklisted. But I mean, I, I felt like a great deal of pressure, you know, and as like a man, like I, I don't make excuses, but like if I could, I would say I was under a great deal of pressure and I was writing lyrics that were resonating with people in not a cool bro type of way. They were resonating in a way of they were pulling me aside at shows and saying, hey, this happened to me or I watched this person die or this happened. And I was dealing with like heavy heavy conversations every day and like i said i i would make myself available because you know maybe if that person got that out maybe they'd feel better you know what i mean and i was just like drained of emotion so like my i wasn't able to like express myself the best way possible because maybe an hour before that some some you know girl gave me a suicide note which is which is real and i don't know what do I do? You know, what do I do with that? Right. You know, when you're like the youth crew dude who's singing about you stab me in the back, there's no girl who's coming up to you and giving you that. There's no guy. Who, uh, I've been given multiple like that. And until I moved to Chicago, I still had them because what do you do with them? And I don't, I don't know what happened with those people. I have no idea. And, you know, I obviously, I hope that the best happened and I hope that I talk to them and, I doubt I changed their life, you know what I mean? But at least they had someone to talk to. And I dealt with so much stuff like that on a on a daily, daily basis on tour. And I definitely put myself in that position. So, like, you can only imagine, like, 
how you would be oh, that to manifest itself. Sure. Exactly. And it, ma- and it, and it manifested with people that worked with my band, people with my band, like there would, there were days that I wouldn't talk because what, what the hell, like what did I get hit with? And no one, no one can possibly understand that aside from me. So, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast and they hear it, you know, it's not going to be as heavy them hearing it as it is for me right now explaining it because like I was dealing with that. And on top of that, I had my own total own issues in my own life. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I feel like blacklisted is like a band there for me, like that really, really that happened with, I didn't really see that happen with other people, like my peers, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, it made for a terror to, to deal with every time we went on the road and we came back, we'd be broken up. Deathwish would think we were broken up. They didn't know what was going on with us. Right. I was poor at communication. You know, I don't, I mean, dude, it was to the point where I would call say Trey or something and he wouldn't want to answer. And and that's a person that I really care about. So to know that like hurts because I wish that I could, wouldn't have been the same, but at the end of the day, like I wouldn't do anything different in that way. So it's just part of life. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, I really appreciate you expressing that because I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's it's important. It's everything we were talking about before. It's like the unintended consequences, and then the fact that it's like you know you uh, not only you combining all those experiences that you're listing, but the fact that you know uh, I don't care how old you are, those are situations where no matter how much experience you have, no one's well equipped to deal with that. No one's like, oh, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> Would I get a suicide? Yeah, plan? no, I mean, yeah, that's exactly like I, I, I definitely wasn't equipped. Like I, like I can't. I don't want to really get too much into it because, like, I, I just I am working on it, but like, I don't, I can't express like how unequipped I was, like right. how like a normal skill that a person might have, like I didn't have, and I had to learn, like, because you know, my life was so different. Like it was, it wasn't the same as other people's. One, one thing that was so crazy about hardcore is when you, when you, when I first started going to shows, like I thought everybody was like kind of the same as me, like, or maybe they came from the same environment and then you go and it's like these kids that live in the suburbs and have million dollar homes and, and both parents love them and all this like stuff. And I'm not saying that I had the opposite of that, but I had the opposite of that. So like you're like holy smokes like i don't i don't have any connection with these people besides we like this music part because how can they possibly relate to anything that that i've been through or or anything like that you know what i mean and that's a that's a crazy thing you know you hear all these things hardcore's from the street hardcore's this hardcore's that uh, hardcore is from the suburb from it's from the white male suburbs I, mean, I hate to break that to people but that's the facts you know what i mean and it's a uh, yeah it sucks. I mean, it sucks and it doesn't, it's, it's very exclusive. It doesn't make room for, for people of color and all this other stuff. And just recently in the last couple of years have women and people of color really been able to be like accepted in a way, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying hardcore was racist, but it was just a very less inclusive, a very, very much less inclusive. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like amazing. Like, I, like you were talking about like, t-shirts i wear and stuff like that i think that that would put people under the impression that i don't listen to hardcore but i definitely listen to it more now than i did in 2006 i'll tell you that for sure um because there's way more interesting stuff going on like there's way better bands like the fury lp paramount that just came out or is about to come out i just got in the mail and that smokes anything that came out in like the last 10 years you know what i mean so like to say a band doing that or like 
you know, the No Tolerance LP that came out not too long ago, like those albums are are amazing. And they're and I think hardcore and punk is like really great right now in that way that it's very inclusive. Whereas I grew up in a very non or I, I felt not included. You know, maybe it was my own struggle. I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and the the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that um, you know, obviously, the music that you create in the context of uh, Harm Wolf is, um, you know, I mean, it's challenging. Like, obviously, there's no one that's going to listen to Blacklisted and then immediately put on a Harm Wolf record, be like, oh yeah, yeah. I get it. Like, <laughs> I get what's happening between these two. Um, and obviously, you uh, you know, you're not attempting to recreate anything in the context of Blacklisted. Um, but obviously, people have to work to get the material that you're doing now when i say work like actually spend time with the record not like work like (laughs) you know physically try to figure out what it is that you're doing um i presume that gives you some sort of of pleasure where it's like obviously you're not going to appeal to a wide base of people but the people that do get it are going to be more uh you know ingrained with what it is that you're doing and are obviously going to get it on a like a deeper level um or is that just basically again a kind of unintended consequence of of the music that you're trying to create uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think I understand what you said. No, it's okay. Uh, basically, uh, I was saying like people. People have to work to listen to your music now. Like Harm Wolf is not for everybody. I know you know that. Um, so like, do you when people do pay you a compliment for uh, this project that you're doing now? Um, do you feel like it kind of carries a little bit more weight? No, I mean I. I. Well, hold on, because you said the thing about blacklisted, and I think that's an important thing. Like, sure. As far as blacklisted goes. Would blacklisted be blacklisted without me? And I say that unegotistically. The what I contributed to the band would it have been what it is? It would have been a totally different band because there's only one person that does what what I do. Like you don't. What other front person has put out what I've put out? You know what I'm saying? Like I don't. I don't mean. And I. It's a hard. It's a difficult thing to express because. The, it sounds like there's ego involved, but I'm saying that with none. I'm just saying, if you look at the facts, like there's no other front person who did that. You can say there's people that did it kind of before me, but they're not on the level that that I I did it, that I created. I lyrically, not musically, because you know, like I said, I didn't write all the music. The beat John is responsible for that, and I think Blacklist definitely has a totally other aspect of it that sonically people were not doing, and there's lyrically people were not doing, and it was melded together. So without me, would it be what it is? So if that, you know, if you look at that and you agree with it, then Harmwolf is is just the same as Blacklisted in my opinion, because I don't I don't sit down and really write anything different and i definitely when i did when i do when i when i've done press for harm i don't really want to ever talk about blacklisted because i don't own that band it's definitely there's three other people involved sure but as as far as my contribution to it it's like there's no one else in hardcore who's who does that or who does that thing that is me and there's no one that writes songs like john that's him and that's that's what makes blacklisted what it is but i am part i write the songs in harm wolf and I would obviously bring that with me. You know what I mean? So as far as the connection, I think there's an easy connection, um, which is if you like blacklisted and me, you are, would should check this out. I'm not going to say you'll like it, but sonically it's very different. Um, I don't think that it's challenging. I've, I've seen people say that it's challenging. I don't think it's challenging. It's very, 
it's all there you know it's what it's just if you like it or not period it's not i I definitely agree that you could listen to like it's something that you should listen to a bunch before you make a decision but it's not like you know it's not challenging it's i i know for a fact the songs aren't like hard to play or anything like that as far as like technical prowess um, if that makes sense, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, challenging in the sense of like, you know, uh, whatever, I'll use an example of like, it's not like any, uh, any anybody can toss on a, you know, Mark Kozik record and immediately be endeared to it. They'll be kind of like, why is this guy writing like, you know, eight minute long songs that are acoustic guitar where he's like whispering into the mic? Like, it's obviously, and when I, I mean that in the broadest sense of the term, it's like a person that likes Adele can't, like, you know. Yeah, but like the guy that likes Mark Kozik, right? Like he, he write, Mark writes these, these stream of conscious songs now, right? eight minutes long and he just writes about you know his niece in ohio who dropped out of school yep. but anybody who likes red house painters would follow that true very true very true you know what i mean and I, that's just what i'm saying like I, like I'm, I'm just i'm saying what people when when people say wow the guy from blacklisted is doing this thing what the fuck what's wrong with him it's like well if you listen to blacklisted you know that other stuff is is involved in the thing and what i'm saying is like i was a huge a huge part of that like you know it's it's undeniable and it's just like i said like if i wasn't in the band the band wouldn't be what it what it was it might be bigger you know because i'm a i will sabotage anything on purpose but it's it might have been bigger it might have been better it might it might have been all everything better but it still wouldn't be what it was because, like, I am me. But when you look at so many other bands, any member could be swapped out and it doesn't make a difference, you know what I mean? Because it's such a it's such a base-level thing. Like, I with Blacks that I told my story, like, no one else can tell that. They can, they can tell theirs. Are they going to do say some of the things that I said that, you know, in hindsight, I wish I didn't say sometimes, but, you know, who knows? And with Harm Wolf, I think there's more of a restraint as far as that goes. Like, I, I don't, I am not, I think people would look at it and think I was more vulnerable, but I definitely am less because I, I don't lyrically, like, really, uh, like, it's not as shocking, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's, def- well, like- it's definitely as personal, but not as shocking. Right, right, yeah. No, I, I and I appreciate, honestly, the delineation there of, like, what you're, you know, the, the connective tissue between blacklisted and obviously harm wolf like is there it's like there's enough of a of a roadmap for people to obviously uh, get there but you know i, I do appreciate the uh, like you said the, the way that you can express yourself in this context where people like hey you probably would like this like if you like blacklisted and you like me like there's a there's a large chance that you will get into this you know so yeah I, but i but i also earlier I, I was talking about like after you write something like it's none of your business and totally. i definitely definitely the first harm of lp and this one like i don't read press on i don't you know i i didn't really do interviews the first one i have been doing them this one but i don't really like uh i don't i don't i don't really care what what people say you know what i mean the only the i say this the only thing i care about is that enough people buy it that death wish will pay for me to record (laughs) totally you know what i mean like and i i i i would say that to anybody and that's the that's the the most honest truth I can give is I, as long as it makes recoups enough that they're like, okay, you can record a third one, which I have mostly written already. That's fine. And if not, I'll record it in my bedroom. I don't care. Like I, I, I'm going to make music for the rest of my life. Like I have no choice. Like I don't, I, I couldn't stop. You know what I mean? It's not something that I could be like, 
all right, I got rid of all my stuff and now I don't make music. Like I have no choice. So right. You're music, getting this out no matter what. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think anybody that knows me knows that. But so my only worryment is that it, it recoups enough that right. I can record <laughs> real studio versus my, my back bedroom. <laughs> totally. Totally. You're like, hope, hopefully this professional relationship can stay, still stay standing because I don't want to put people, you know, out of money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I definitely, when I, you know, when I, when I, when I recorded the first, when I I recorded the first one, and just had it, and then I talked to them and they were interested in putting it out. And I was like, "Are you sure?" And then when I I called Trey for this one and says, "Hey, I have these songs written. I want to record an album. Are you guys down?" You know, it's more it like like I don't I'm not I think people think I'm like contractually obligated to Death Wish, and that's not the truth. I would never go to another label, but I definitely am not. It's not contractually. It's it's really just call them and say, "Hey." I have this idea. Are you interested? And they say yes or no. You know, and they've definitely said no, and they've definitely, for the most part, said yes. And that's yeah, it's a great, great relationship to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, George, I honestly really, really appreciate you talking to me because, um, yeah, I just I, I've I've had you on my list of people on the show, but I wanted to do it at an appropriate time and not feel like uh, you know I was I was putting you in uncomfortable places. But I, I honestly really do appreciate your time. You got it, dude. Whew, rad, right? George, uh, yeah, I just, I, I like him so much more than I, I mean, it wasn't possible really because I really respected the work that he did already, but, uh, to have that nice conversation with him that, uh, really, you know, dealt with, uh, some dark slash interesting slash insightful slash positive things because, uh, you know, a person who's creating art in the world and, uh, putting their truest representation out there needs to be commended, praised, and uh, applauded and that's exactly what i would like to do for george so there you go you hear that clap yep there we go but thank you very much george and thank you very much stephanie my longtime friend who helps me uh coordinate some of these interviews so thank you very much stephanie and um man we've got uh we've got some more just bangers episodes after episodes of very insightful cool conversations and next week is exactly the same thing except I would say even better, but it's just like, I, I feel like the show has reached a plateau of just no matter what, <laughs> the conversation is going to be good because I really, I sweat over who I'm going to bring on the show because it's like, I, I've, I've done a really, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I think I've done a pretty good job, not so much on like my interviewing tactics or conversations, but picking the guests. It's like, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I worry so much about the people that come on because, you know, will they be comfortable? Will they share all these things? So I feel like the show's reached a level where, uh, people who come on the show know what they're getting into and are excited to do so. And I've just been noticing that as of late, like honestly, the past, I'd say five or six months, it's really hit its stride from that perspective. So thank you very much for listening. That's all I'm trying to tell you. And next week, the guest is Megan O'Neill from Super Unison and Punch. This was a, a, a person I had on my list forever. Like, uh, gosh, I want to say I've had her on my list for like three years. And it's just one of those things where her and I have many mutual friends. I just didn't, I, I just didn't reach out to her. That's, that's all that it comes down to. And then uh, the opportunity came up where it's like, hey, she's uh, down in Southern California and she's totally down to do this. I'm like, oh, dude, love it. Let's do this. And uh, it was a great, great discussion that you will hear next week. So uh, there you go. Well, uh, hopefully enjoy the rest of your day and please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.